busy people crave meaningful experiences. As the world gets faster and crazier and busier, people just want something that is unique, something that, like I said, is transportive, that's immersive. I've been really excited and it has been cool to watch this company better pitch. They are the experts in private equity deck design. Whether you need a fundraising deck, a corporate overview and track record deck, or investor reporting collateral, they have you covered. Better Pitch is experienced putting together pitch decks for raises as small as a million and as large as half a billion. The best part? Better Pitch completes all design, copywriting, and market research. That's right. They pull all data both on an asset and market level and illustrate the research to support your investment thesis. Your days of moonlighting as a designer and analyst are over. Better Pitch is the plug-and-play option to deliver an institutional quality pitch deck that leads to a more effective fundraise. You send your raw deal documents, they design, provide market research, and refine your copywriting. And the best part? They deliver the final product in a PowerPoint file for you to use on future deals. Better Pitch is extending a risk-free offer exclusively for the Fort Podcast listeners. They will work with you until you're 100% satisfied, accommodating as many revisions as you need. Visit betterpitch.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-P-I-T-C-H.com to schedule your call today. Hey guys, I want to update you a little bit on Fort Capital. We are still acquiring Class B Industrial throughout Texas and the Sun Belt. We're looking to buy deals between 15 and up to 250 million. We're looking for portfolios now. We offer industry-leading incentives, which you can see on our website, that include an additional half a point commission for off-market deals. One thing we found was that our historical contract-to-close ratio is 98%. So if we're making a contract, we're getting it closed. We have a robust team to deliver an on-time smooth closing. And you can see all this at fortcapitallp.com backslash deal dash incentive. Thank you so much. Isaac, I am pumped to have you here today with me and to tell your story. And let's dive right into it. Well, I'm honored to be here, Chris. So my story starts in terms of real estate two years ago, really, which is when I built Live Oak Lake. Okay. But let me back up and give just a little bit more context of who I am and what led to that. Okay. So I'm I'm 26 currently and I grew up in a family with nine siblings, uh, homeschooled, very industrious, entrepreneurial. My dad had a plumbing business, then we he started a general contracting company. Grew up in Central Texas. We moved to Idaho when I was 12 and lived there for 10 years. And I, you know, I started businesses from the time I was 6 years old and on. I, I bought old typewriters on eBay, would <laughs> <laughs> restore them and sell them. Of course, the lemonade stand had a, a soda business, made like handcrafted root beer, did a, a whole plethora of stuff. And when I was 14, 15, took an interest in bookkeeping and uh, would work in my off time learning how to do accounts payable, accounts receivable, basic categorization, payroll for our family construction company. And then that led to wanting to do tax preparation. So I st studied, became an enrolled agent when I was 19, similar to a CPA credential, but it's just focused on tax. Worked for a CPA for three months during tax season, 
have done 20 or 30 returns every spring ever since, <laughs> decided I did not want to be a, a CPA. I could never be constrained to an office full time and just crunching numbers. But I loved, I think I have a good balance of analytical and more creative skill set and loved having that foundation if I was going to be starting businesses going into the future of, you know, a strong accounting understanding. And then, but the the primary outlet for my time and career, I guess you could say, while I was an employed individual was in construction. So I started as a general laborer at the same time, 14, 15, and then worked my way up just through all phases of construction, working with my older brothers and my dad, and became a project manager. We did, it's a small-ish boutique commercial construction GC, did a lot of educational stuff. So University of Idaho, Washington State University, did a medical school building. That was kind of the last big project, about $6 million project when I was 23. And then I retired, quote unquote, moved to Texas, not didn't really retire, but retired from that job, moved back to Texas, met my wife, got married. And so this was 2020. And <laughs> I had this idea brewing for a long time. So all the way back through my childhood, I'm also an artist. I'll mention that now. And I love design, wanted to be an architect when I was younger, studied design. And I was heavily influenced by the architecture that I was exposed to in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of Nordic minimalist, lots of glass, Olsen Kundig, uh, if you're familiar with that style of architecture, and wanted to bring that to Texas. So I saw this opportunity where Texas is this great state, this big, beautiful market. The Texas Triangle has what, 17 million people yep, and plus growing. and growing. And yet there aren't that many, and I'm a Texan, so forgive me, but I think I can say this. It's not the most beautiful state, naturally. And there aren't that many cool places to go as far as to get away for a short destination. So I was like, this is the perfect opportunity. I can bring that aesthetic and create this experience for people that is more localized to them. So they can, you know, take a staycation and hour and a half from DFW, Austin, Houston, wherever. So started looking for property right in the middle of COVID. And one morning was scrolling through Zillow and uh, stumbled across this little five acre piece of property it was literally five minutes from where I lived. I'd driven past it a, a lot of times, but I'd never really noticed anything special about it. It just looked like a bunch of trees. This was a drone photo and I noticed this little cow pond. And then I also noticed these big live oaks that are just the flagship tree here in Texas. So immediately drove out there and was just totally blown away by, by what I saw. <laughs> it was one of those experiences where, I mean, the moment I stepped foot on the property, I just, like I had goosebumps, I knew this was the place. Yep. And so made an offer that day, was accepted and long story short, nine months later, opened Live Oak Lake. So that was really <laughs> my my venture. My first venture into real estate was doing this project. That is an incredible. I mean, there's there's so many things to unpack there. I think the the one I want to cue in on is design. When you think about design, because I, when I meet people like you, it's like everything you see, you see through that angle. But when you walked out onto that property. Did you already start immediately envisioning how this thing was going to lay out? And like, where did your love for design come from? Is that family? Did, did was somebody in your family into it? Like, how did you kind of take on to this idea of looking at life through design? Yeah, you know, I think obviously people are born with gifts and have strengths and weaknesses and design was cultivated in me. 
certainly my grandmother taught me and my siblings art. And like I mentioned, I do painting and drawing. I love that. So I, I know that was a big influence, but I've always just been drawn to great design. And I've come to realize now there are few people that just like there are a few people that have your skill set, there are a few people that <laughs> have that ability to see and appreciate the little details that make up great design. Yeah. But yet there are tons of people, or if not everyone, can actually can just appreciate it without being able to articulate what it is that makes it great. And so it, it's it's a combination of nature and nurture. When I walked onto that property, though, and I tell people this, and it sounds a little wacky, I know. Yeah. But literally, the land was speaking to me. <laughs> and what did it tell you? <laughs> build here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There were a lot of other factors that that happened to stack on top of each other that made that the right place. We can get into that later. But yes, to answer your question, that's exactly what I did. I immediately envisioned the experience that I wanted to have. I wanted my guests to have. I even like generally had the number of cabins, the density and everything. And that we had 30 days of due diligence till we closed. And that whole time I just spent like, I was also talking to banks and trying to get lending and drawing up plans and doing a pro forma and all that. But I spent as much time as I could on site, walking the property, just super quiet by myself without distractions and really trying to understand how can we work with the land? How can we be gentle to what's already here we had to do a lot of work to it, but it's it was really like a a marble sculpture where you're where you're just chipping away pieces to get down to what's really really beautiful that was already innately in that piece of property. Dude, we're gonna have a fun conversation. All right, we're gonna start unpacking this, but I think it's important to know this. So you knew design, but there had to have also been something in you that along the way that was like, and you wanted a cool place in Texas. Had you already taken on to the experiential hospitality model, seeing this as like an emerging thing? Like what what part of your story also baked in? This is a way to make money. This is what the world needs. I think it was actually really the dream of I'm I'm very entrepreneurial and I love the flexibility of doing my own thing and creating something that I can be proud of and show off to other people. I learned that just doing artwork and then executing bigger construction projects. But to give the GC example, I was always working for a client okay. and I was always working with an architect and with engineers. And now I've come to appreciate the team kind of come full circle. But there was a time there after I uh, broke up with being a GC of being a project manager where I was so tired of just being constrained by someone else's vision that I thought could have been improved upon or just simply, you know, budget constraints or whatever and doing kind of boring stuff. I mean, and my heart really was in the idea, yes, of creating these just amazing, iconic kind of properties. I couldn't articulate it then. I just knew. I, I quote often Yvonne Chouinard, who founded Patagonia and Steve Jobs, I think both said, you you can't wait until you have all the answers to launch something. You've got to do two things. Number one, have faith that your product is good, good enough. And number two, know your audience. And I was somehow able to combine that. I was like, it was much more of an art than a science when I realized this dream that I've kind of, that's sort of been coalescing in my mind for a few years now of creating this village of, you know, really cool well-designed experiential retreats is is going to resonate with people 
And, you know, I don't think, I think there's still actually a lot of lenders and even investors that don't get it. There's plenty that do, but especially lenders that, that just don't understand that yet. Yeah. Now that I've done Live Oak Lake and have some hard numbers to show and have told my story, I feel like I'm part of a one of the pioneers that's actually advancing this among a lot of others like Richard Fertig and that are doing an exceptional job. But it, it is a little bit, it's, it's a little bit pioneering in that sense. Like others have not created, yes, the idea has been there for a long time. There's always been exceptional hotels. There's always nice hotels. There's always beautiful architecture, but it's something special about bringing together and creating this emotional connection with your guests. And that's really to the core of what hospitality even is. Hospitality is so much more about emotional intelligence and delighting your guests than it is about excellence in terms of executing in some kind of a rote way. So that's probably not the most concise direct answer to your question, but I did have a heart for hospitality. I did grow up in a family. We, we, we were always hosting folks. We, my dad actually my parents had a few Airbnbs that were really cool that we helped build and design. And and all that influenced me in terms of my decision to launch out and go big on, on this idea as my full-time thing. I have this weird feeling if we were sitting here in 50 years, I'm looking at somebody that's probably going to design some of the most iconic places in the country. I can just like hear it in the way you're talking. All right. So you get and you buy this property. You walked on the land said, build on me. What happened the day you closed? So did you know that I, right now, d describe Live Oak Lake as it is today, and then we'll go backwards and talk about how we got there. But it's seven. Describe as it is today. Yeah. Seven modern minimalist cabins big glass fronts, all about bringing the outdoors inside. So lots of natural light, minimalist Scandinavian design, very cohesive throughout the entire property. So trails, these cabins are nestled around a little lake, live oak trees, you know, kayaks, walking trails. And as far as success by the numbers, I'll just give you a quick picture here, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. We opened in January of 2022. Okay. Put the finishing touches on the property. It was the middle of the winter. So, you know, a lot of the trees had lost their leaves. The grass hadn't yet grown into all the landscaping and all that and immediately took off. And we can get more into all the details of, of how that all happened. But fast forward 12 months, our first year, we grossed over a million dollars on seven, seven keys we net over 550,000. We had over 100,000 social media followers. And 80% of all bookings, 80% plus are direct through our own website. So we're not dependent on Airbnb and the other OTAs because we've created this movement. We've created a platform around what we've done. So that's Live Oak Lake in a nutshell. So freaking impressive, man. You saw the land. I just want to like think about this through how an artist thinks about it because you own five acres. So you could have done eight of these. Maybe you could have done nine, but you chose seven. How did you kind of go through the design process? And for you, know, this is the masterpiece. Like this is what's going to work. What, what kind of just tell me how your mind worked through that? It's a great question. And I don't know that I have the most logical or scientific answer to it because like i said earlier it was so much intuition of spending time on the property but 
we did. We went between, I went between five units all the way up to nine units and just testing them out in different configurations on the property. And it's a dance. I mean, there's topography you're working around, there's the lake, there's trees. And I didn't want to compromise anything. So to me, maybe I went too far in the stitch. And I had a lot of friends that are in short-term rentals and that I've learned a lot from, but that, that raised their eyebrows at me in the whole process, just the the method, the expense that I took, the the pains I went to to create that. But I did not want just what's the biggest bang for our buck here, even not just from that simplistic, you know, super selfish perspective, maybe, but just simply like, what's the smartest thing we can do? Yes, I was thinking about the smartest thing. But to me, the smartest thing was how can we create the most impactful transportive experience? So as far as the actual designs, I knew I wanted to do something Scandinavian. I felt like that was a hole in the market here. It's become ubiquitous everywhere. But I felt like Texas was right for that. And I found this company called Den Outdoors. They just draft plans and sell them for a couple thousand bucks pop online and was really inspired by a lot of their designs, had some of my own stuff I wanted to incorporate, purchased some of their stuff, reworked a lot of it, combined some different elements, had a hired a drafter on Fiverr for 300 bucks, dropped my plans, did all my red lines, <laughs> went back and forth over about three days, got everything done and drew up the site plan from a drone photo, figured everything out. I didn't have any engineers, any architects, anything. <laughs> <laughs> and and then we had this basic set of drawings. I mean, they weren't the most complete. They didn't have every detail drawn out. But then I was able to take that and then throughout the project, because I was my own GC with that experience I was able to bring, I was the superintendent, I was everybody, I could make all these decisions on the fly that would iterate on my general thesis of where we were trying to go. And so we had we had some basic blueprints. Thankfully, this would not be possible in a lot of different markets just in terms of the simple permitting requirements. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, because, and that's another big factor of choosing this property, we were in an un unincorporated part of the county. The permitting process is super laid back and you can basically do almost whatever you want to do. You have to have inspect a few different inspections, but they're third party and you know we were building this to to keep for ourselves to operate forever so we weren't cutting corners with the construction process either but long story short i designed as i went it was very much by the seat of my pants and it all worked out thankfully you answered the question i already had so you really didn't need entitlements we can get past that part essentially no and okay. I, I did do that and do the due diligence there was the pond there's a creek so i was worried floodplains were going to be an issue thankfully we just were outside the floodplain but yeah, I mean, the process in McLennan County was is simply you you file an application saying this is what I want to do, and they can't do any, they can't tell you no. Right. They can't tell you no unless I suppose if you're building a skyscraper, you'd have some more issues. The one issue that was the biggest hurdle was the septic system. That's one system for the entire property. We had city water and we had power from the power company right there, but the septic was a big hurdle. Okay. And we had to, I did have to hire an engineer. So I take that back. I did have an engineer for that. And we designed an aerobic system, which is really cool. That's a single system for the whole place, one plant. But beyond that, we were able to work really, really efficiently, especially combining all those different aspects, you know, wearing the architect hat, wearing the contractor hat. And there were a lot of, you know, supply chain issues in 2021, there still are, that would have delayed us. but 
constantly being able to see ahead and know, you know, windows were 20 weeks and appliances were six months in one case for some of the stuff. Just being aware of that and having that experience and wearing that hat and not not waiting for other people to make decisions was so important. Everybody wants to know, how did you do that in nine months? And that's really the answer. Now, I don't think I could do that again. I mean, it was a crazy year. I was working 80 hours a week. I was also building the $750,000 spec home five minutes away in four months. I broke my pelvis halfway through the project. (laughs) I fell off of a ladder in one of the cabins, and that was a big wake-up call. I didn't realize... I could hurt myself that bad falling from six feet. But yeah, I was, I found myself in a hospital with laying flat on my pl- my back for seven days with two surgeries. I've got tons of stainless steel. Dude. Me now. It was crazy. I mean, you drive down the road every day at 80 miles an hour and nothing bad happens. And then you're, you're working by yourself in a cabin. I was actually helping somebody. I jumped in. I, it's, I wasn't doing a lot of the work myself. I was managing it, but jumped in and somebody was working by themselves and they needed help. So I jumped up on a ladder and the ladder slipped. Dude. Well, I'm glad you're all right <laughs> on that. On what you said about construction, it's, it's not scalable and you probably know this, but the amount of time that is wasted in construction because you have the developer up in their office, the contractor here, nobody's fully attached. The amount of wasted days that happen, like you're probably there where decisions are being made in seconds or minutes or hours as opposed to let the day go by, contractor calls the developer, hey, do you want to make this change? Developer has to get with team, maybe call some consultants. That's like a week-long process to get back. And then you scale that out over the cost of a project is that's how projects take two or three years versus nine months. You're exactly right. And going forward, I mean, so yes, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to fill the same role and wear those same shoes on every project I do. But I'm gonna be extremely selective on what projects I do, where I do them, and always maintain that. I think there is a way to apply that super lean mentality if you have the right skill set. I mean, if you can bring, and of course, it takes a village to build a village. (laughs) This was a group effort. I, I give lots of credit to subcontractors and other people, but it does take one person or maybe two people working together that have the vision and that can execute. I mean, I was watching YouTube videos at night, figuring out how to do this and do that and calling my brother in Idaho to get his construction advice on this little detail and that thing. But where there's a will, there's a way. And I think, I think if you push yourself, you can, you can eliminate a lot of unnecessary reliance. Now, granted, I'm not, I'm not Chris, who is operating a, a, a massive enterprise now that's scaling in a really impressive way, and I really admire that. So that's an entirely different skill set, yeah. one that I would like to learn. But I've kind of grown accustomed just in everything that I've done to working a certain way. And I am learning to delegate more and more. I mean, even things like using Fiverr and other platforms for stuff that I can, I would spend my time doing you know, drafting all these things up, but I can outsource for super cheaply to, you know, overseas talent and, and also having a couple assistants on the ground. All of that was helpful, but there is a way to build a super lean, mean team and get a lot done. And, and my, you're not asking for advice. And so take it for what it's worth, but just hearing, even knowing you the little bit before today, but just hearing these first 10 minutes, you will definitely build an org. I mean, you're, you're clearly next level talented. 
my one word of advice, and we can talk about it more offline, stay in your genius zone as long as possible and, and partner with somebody or hire someone to build the business behind you. The day that all your talents start leaving the site and the vision and the details, I'm not saying you can't build a business, but that's not, I think, why God put you on this earth. I think you got to stay in that genius zone as, po- as long as possible. And so we can talk about what that might look like. But yeah, I, I don't think you're going to have a problem building a big organization if, if that's what you want. What have the Scandinavians figured out that Americans don't know? <laughs> There's nothing special about Scandinavians. Well, apparently there is. It's really, it's the cohesion between all of these details working together. And I alluded to it earlier, but Live Oak Lake and really what I feel passionate about, I say experiential hospitality. That's the big you know label I'm leaning hard into. But really, if I narrow that down to what I'm really passionate about, and we can talk about what even experiential hospitality means, I feel like the macro thesis is this. Busy people crave meaningful experiences. As the world gets faster and crazier and busier, people just want something that is unique, something that, like I said, is transportive, that's immersive. And I'm, I do like minimalist design. I think that it just makes a lot of sense. I like Apple products. I like Scandinavian architecture that's really clean and modern. But it's really more about the cohesion between all the details. So the landscaping, the signage, the front gate, the cabins, that where the windows are oriented, the trees that you're looking through. And really, yes, the design speaks, but the the landscape around it as, as, is as much or more important. Like I said, it's about bringing the outdoors inside. So we that's how we situated every single cabin, every single view that we framed on this property is about showcasing I said Texas wasn't the most naturally beautiful state, but it still is very beautiful. And that property, I, I believe, is very beautiful. It was an overgrown jungle when we first got there, but that's what I love. I love seeing the potential in something. I mean, literally a jungle, vines like Timbuktu growing in the trees and just a cow pond. But when we were able to create this hidden gem, which is what a lot of people describe it as, I mean, what's not fulfilling about that? Oh, and so the architecture is really important and I love that element. But the nature is super important as well. And when those two things come together, you've just got this magical experience for people. How long had that property been on the market? You remember? 12 hours. Oh, so it literally was I was checking to... Zillow okay. every day. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to tell me like it had sat there for two years and nobody had seen and nobody, everybody had overlooked at it. I guarantee you no one knew what it was. Had you looked at other properties before you looked at that one? I had my heart set on another property that was like two minutes down the road that was a totally different property. It had a like a 50-foot bluff with a dry creek in the bottom. And I knew that was cool just because of that bluff, but it wouldn't have lent itself really well to the whole vision of short-term rentals because you would have had some liability reasons, some liability factors AKA there. AKA 50 feet. AKA 50 feet. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> pair well with small children. Yeah. And also- what I drunk lo- adults. <laughs> what I love about Live Oak Lake is we nestled these cabins around the pond. So at night, especially there's all these beautiful lights and that, that reflect into the water. It literally feels like you're in this quaint European little village that is really charming. Well, one of my things I'm looking forward to in January is spending three days down there, but I'm spending there by myself. You know, that's right. That's right. I, I, you're talking this up. So I'll be down there in January. I'm getting away by myself for a few days to kind of clear my, my head and I'm excited. All right. What does experiential hospitality mean? So 
I said, busy people crave meaningful experiences. And do lazy people crave meaningful experiences? <laughs> yes, everyone does, okay. but especially busy people. I think we all need an escape. And, you know, I, if anyone believes that their that their work should be uh, what they love doing, it's me. I mean, I love what I do. I Yes, I did have to discipline myself through some of those earlier phases in my life and being a GC and all that, but I absolutely love what I do. And yet still like going to other people's properties. I just posted about this on Twitter the other day. I went We're to talking about it. Beautiful place. But I, I do that as often as I can because that's how I that's how I get in, inspired. That's how I expand my perspective of what's possible. So experiential hospitality. Hospitality is, like I said, it's all about delighting guests, making them feel special. Disney has mastered this. I've never even been to a Disney property, but I know this. I am trying to, in experiential hospitality, I am trying to create through what I built at Live Oak Lake and through my future endeavors. I'm, I'm going to try to create, like I said, these connections that people form that are that transcend just the sheer you know, beauty or luxury even of a place, but that create memories that are lifelong. We have guests. I mean, this isn't this isn't just me theorizing. We have guests that have come back four times in one year to stay at Live Oak Lake. <laughs> these are the kind of fans that we've created. And then those become these incredible brand ambassadors yep. and it's just compounding. But experiential hospitality is all about creating these environments that are transportive, that are you know full of this wow factor. There, there's another element to, to this that I think is important. We're solving for status on a certain level. So my generation, I believe, cares more in general about experiences than they do about material possessions and luxury. I think that's a macro trend that we're going to continue to see. And yet there's still an element where everybody has an ego. And, and yet it's not just about ego. Everybody wants to show their friends and their family where they are and what they're doing. So I have this phrase, we're creating these Instagrammable properties. Yep. So everything about this place is just cool. We have a, a shipping container pool that's got a big window in the side that is very cohesive and blends in with everything else we've got going on. And and just the way that each cabin is situated, it's, it's really hard for me to, to, yeah. to articulate without you actually going there and experiencing it. And I'm very glad you will be. But I'm ultimately trying to create these, these emotional connections that people form with your property. And that's why it's as, as much about even the way that you're hosting them, and, and we can talk about this too, but I've created a pretty lean and mean well, operation and, and an automation that we have in place. And yet there are key areas where you can delight your guests even before they get there, just in your messaging and in the welcome gift that you leave them, in their maybe their tiny interaction with your you know housekeeper or your facilities person who's on site. That is, if they have that true heart, if you've hired the right people, that have the true heart and soul for hospitality are going to delight your guests. All these little details are going to delight your guests. So instead of just throwing more things at people in terms of more amenities, which is what I think it would be a, a pretty logical approach of, oh, I need to hire ADR, so let's just add this and add that and the other thing. And yes, there's, there's merit to that. Take a step back and be more thoughtful about what, what is different about my place than another really cool hotel or Airbnb somewhere else. And so it's it's all these different little details like I come, keep coming back to, both in the design and the construction and the property, but then also in the interaction with the guests that makes it special. 
let's talk about the operations in the hospitality. My good friend, Ash Marsh says hospitality to her means I thought of you before you got here. Love that. Um, so let's talk about how you've automated it, which I know is a big part, but then let's talk about those little experiences that you're not running a holiday in where it's, you know, check in, go to your room, eat a continental breakfast, get the hell out of there. You're running something where every little touch point matters to you. So maybe we could break it up into two kind of sections is how did you automate things to save money and make the experience better? But then what are the, some of the little wow moments that are unique to your property that you've thought of that matter? So with automation, first and foremost, we have a ton of smart home hardware technology in these units. So door locks, thermostats, noise monitors, lighting, um, the front gate, every major system in the property is automated, is, is, is smart. And then we have a software called Operto that ties a lot of those pieces together and then talks to our main software, which is called HostAway. It's the property management software. HostAway is kind of like the hub in the wheel. And then you've got a pricing software. So we do dynamic pricing to optimize occupancy and revenue. That's called Wheelhouse. We got Operto, which ties the smart home pieces together. We got the email marketing with ConvertKit and all these other spokes in the wheel. But then what, what's beautiful about it is HostAway, which is the, also the booking engine for our website. So it's, it's a multi-calendar. It knows, you know, it's pushing the listings out through Airbnb, through VRBO, which serve a purpose, even though we have 80% direct bookings, those other channels are great because, you know, a lot, especially for last minute openings and orphan nights, you're going to capture more through those. It's just the primary juice we're squeezing is coming through our own website, which is great. A quick side note on that. Direct bookings are amazing because we make 15% more straight bottom line profit because we're cutting out those OTA commissions. Is that what they take? 15? They take 17.3. We give us a small discount to the guest to book with us direct. Got it. So they're still incentivized. And we there's no data wall. So we have their email. We can retarget them. That's part of how we foster those long-term relationships I was talking about earlier. Among other benefits, you can't get kicked off somebody else's platform. So HostAway, which is the main hub, you know, has the booking engine, it has automated message sequences, which we've spent a ton of time crafting. I did all these different things myself uh, from not just in the design and construction phase, but now the operation and marketing. I did everything myself. Now I've delegated all of that stuff. So it truly is automated even in terms of the personnel. But I wanted, I feel like it's super important that you as the creator understand everything. I had my hands in the dirt in all these different aspects. And so we have these beautiful message sequences. And, you know, I'm very picky about this. I feel like it's very easy to go in either of the two ditches of too many messages and just yep. being bombarded and overwhelmed and then just never hearing anything and sort of wondering what's up. And, you know, that's not hospitality. So it is. It's about finding that perfect balance. It's probably different for everybody, but I feel like we've found a good middle road. And then to give you like a, a tiny little perspective here of how like the smart home hardware can work with the the software part of this so hostway it knows when all the reservations are when the guests are coming who they are you know their name and all that it will adjust the temperatures automatically into my pre-selected range when the guest is coming an hour before check-in through an hour after checkout so we're also saving a lot with energy costs in the off time which we don't have much of but at least during the turnover time the lighting will turn on at depending on when sunset is at the pre-selected times the the door 
lock. So the, the guest will get a unique code that is only activated during their stay through the message sequence because you're plugging all these different pieces together. So just what I just described there, including the revenue management side as well with Wheelhouse, all those three main softwares, uh, you know, they they eliminate probably three full-time employees on this property. And I've I've tweeted about this before, but we're spending just with software a total of roughly 25,000 a year. And then we spend an additional 70,000 on two part-time employees. So let's just call it 100,000 total property management cost on this place, including marketing and everything. And we are, you know, like I said, we're, we're on track this year to gross 1.2 million. A traditional property manager for STR would be 20 to 25% easy. So you can do the math. We're saving hundreds of thousands just on property management because of the automation. And it's much more, it's much better run. And this ties, this segues into the next part of the question as far as what are those important little touch points in the hospitality experience? So, like I said, I think messaging is where it starts. Well, I mean, I guess it could go all the way back to their first impressions in marketing, but when they actually book a stay, we've carefully crafted these message sequences. And, you know, I have a, a welcome manual that we send them before that they can actually read a little bit about our story and get to know me personally if they don't already know about who we, my wife Helen and I are, and get a, a, a little, you know, taste of what there is to do in the local area and all of that. And then, you know, they get a couple messages before they check in. When they check in, including like questions about them, we're trying to learn as much as we can about the the guest. So I want to give a quick phrase here. I think traditional hospitality, to oversimplify it, could be viewed as just, you know, a monologue. We're doing things for the guests. We're doing things for the guests. We're doing things. We're giving you a place to stay. We're giving you a continental breakfast, whatever it is. Experiential or enlightened hospitality, as Danny Meyer calls it is about a dialogue. You are listening as much or more to the guest, much more than you're than you're talking and then you're throwing stuff at them, like I said. So we want to learn about them. We offer these different experience packages, a romance stay. We get a lot of couples that come on romantic get, just getaways. We have a lot of families that come and we, we have some units that are pet friendly. So we want to learn what's going on here and how can we best serve them. And then when they come, based off of those different answers that we've we've given them, some of those are upsells, which we can monetize as well. We we leave a handwritten note for every single. So our welcome gift really isn't that special. It's but I I, I figured out early on people love to see their name handwritten. So we literally handwrite this card, and I've trained my my team to do this. That we leave for all of them, just a little note for me and a couple stickers and you know some topo chicos and then we have fresh baked cookies that we get from a local bakery the cleaners as part of the whole automation here can see the reservations each day from their login on that uh hostaway software they pick it up from a local bakery i mean these are literally fresh hot off the hot out of the oven that they leave on a little plate there for the for the guests and so when the guest walks in you know the lights are just right there's just the right smell there's the temperature is just right. There's a little, there's a card with their name on it. There's a guest manual again in paper format that has our story. They're encouraged to reach out as often as they want. We reach out to them, check up on them occasionally. And it's just the right balance. People love it. They feel cared for. They feel appreciated. And so that's one example. And then just the amenities themselves, I think knowing, you know, 
your customer avatar and who these people are, what they're going to want to do is important. And we really have, we have a pretty diverse spectrum of people that we host. We have a lot of couples. We have a lot of families as well. And then we, we're having a lot more group events. So we have seven units on the property plus a commons area. I didn't design it for this, but because the property is so beautiful, the commons area is right down by the water's edge. There's a dock going out into the water. It's just beautiful. There's a little pergola. We've had multiple weddings there. And it's really interesting because there's hardly space for it. I mean, these are pretty small weddings and they have to really cram. My next property, I'm going to put more em emphasis on that commons area because I realize this is a huge thing. But I think that's another macro trend post-COVID in real life events. People want to get together. People want to experience these beautiful places together with other people. So we have a lot of group events. And we've tailored the amenities around these different avatars. So each each cabin has its own hot tub year-round, its own hammock in the tree, a little fire, smokeless fire pit and chairs and you know, a place by the water. But then there's also this commons area with the container pool with yard games and another patio to sit at, the dock where people can sit on, and kayaks and paddle boards. So there's just the right balance and then a network of trails throughout where people can spend time by themselves at their unit or they can come together. And I've, I've gone over there a lot of times where there's just complete strangers coming together to grill in the commons area or whatever that become friends. Literally, it's not, not just cliche. I've participated in these conversations and it's really fun. And that's another part of that experience that people are coming for. And especially when it's going to become a tradition of theirs, but they're, they're going to come back and we see a lot of like, you know, a family will come or a couple will come and they'll just fall in love and then they'll bring back their other kids or another family and and then they'll create these traditions around that. So those are some of the little vignettes of personal touches and amenities that make a difference. Okay, you said you've listened. So maybe my next question is, you opened January 2022, is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. So we're now in... September of 2023, man, can't believe this year is almost over. What has changed about the property since you opened it? Because clearly you opened it and then you started listening. So I would imagine everything that's there today was not there when it started. You were kind of green. You you built a beautiful property, but I would imagine week one, you're like, oh man, I hope this works. <laughs> what has What did you think going into it and then 18 months later, what has changed about the property? Well, for one, what I just mentioned about group events, I did not expect that. So we we have a dedicated listing now on our website where people can do the group buyout and, you know, just rent the whole place, which we're doing a lot more of. And so we, you know, we built out a little bit of infrastructure to accommodate that. But the container pool wasn't there. The hot tubs weren't there at the units. I had questions about privacy and just wanting to make sure that like I said, I just put a lot of thought into, because you're balancing the sense of community, that village feel that I'm talking about, with seclusion and privacy. You've got to find that perfect balance. And so, you know, originally we didn't have the hot tubs, we didn't have the pool, but we had some, we had some constructive recommendations on like, oh, this would be so awesome if there was a pool, because we don't allow swimming in the pond. So we've added a few, a few of these amenities like our our whole process for that I just described in detail as far as the hosting experience and the welcome gift and all that was definitely iterated on and we wanted to find where's that sweet spot where we're getting the best 
feedback. I feel now we're really about as optimized as we can be. There's been a ton of operational efficiencies that we've also implemented alongside all of that. Talk with, about those. With really the automation I described, I yeah. didn't really have, I mean, I had a lot of the smart home components, but like even with pricing and revenue management, that was a, a big skill and I still am a huge student of it, but that I had to learn and figure out, figuring out our maintenance routines as well. I mean, an experiential hospitality property, any hospitality is going to have a lot of maintenance when design and details are so important. So hiring the right people, I mentioned earlier, we have two part-time employees. So we got a, a maintenance guy and then a gal that does all of the messaging and coordinates with the cleaning team who's all independent contractor. And then she, they're also, the the gal and her husband are also sort of like filling a general management role, which I've I've trained them into. So I'm truly, my time is essentially free, except for Instagram, which we can talk about. Marketing was a huge piece. So marketing, the overall success is all going to be predicated on how amazing the product really is. Because you could, you know, a lot of people come to me now that I've been preaching all about, about the success we've had and are like looking for a Band-Aid kind of fix. Well, how can we apply your recipe on social media growth or whatever to our property? And I'm happy to share those principles and kind of just the nuts and bolts of what I did. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't start and end with a beautiful experience for these people with the right motivation, the right heart and soul behind it, then your efforts are going to be, are going to see a lot, a lot of diminishing returns and you're just going to spend and spend and spend, but see marginal results. So thankfully we got that part right with the experience. And, but then like there was so much to learn and grow in terms of the social media explosion, which has fueled a lot of the success in general, having those direct bookings, having an 80% direct booking rate, having being 95% occupied in general, um, since we opened. A lot of that was just on the back of having this huge Instagram following. So we're going to talk about that. I have one question that's burning. I usually don't interrupt, but I have to ask yeah. this. Can you have a beautiful experience end to end, but not have the heart in it? Or is this part of having the end to end beautiful experience only happen because your heart's in it? Like, can you fake it? No, people are going to detect that. Yeah. And that's why I think that, you know, beautiful architecture, I'm extremely passionate about beautiful design and architecture. Design is your greatest amenity. Design is key to all of this. But you really do, you have to have that heart and soul that's motivating the property. That's where you know, built scaling this on a really large scale. And there are companies like Four Seasons is known for this, has done a really good job. They have this really high staff to, to guest ratio and all that. But to me, I just feel like we're in a really great spot. I mean, I may continue to grow and expand with a few more properties, but I just love having that connection. And I can still pop in over there, especially because it's seven minutes away from where I live and interact with guests, you know, on a moment's notice. And they love that. And I love it too. That's, that's my favorite part of this entire journey. And I think that's really why I got into it. I am a pe people person and I, I'm infinitely curious about other people and and I love to show off something that I've created as well. So it's just like the perfect context to delight them and to you know, develop a friendship and a relationship. And that has been the most rewarding aspect of all of this. And 
I absolutely believe that is the most important factor for anyone launching into a project like this. Dude, I've already said it. I think I'm sitting in front of somebody that's going to change hospitality. I mean, you, it is clear this is deep, deep, deep rooted. I've done 300 of these episodes. It's not very often you see someone that is so deep in their, their craft. Kudos to you. I can't, like, I can tell you right now, there's no way you're faking a damn thing you've said up to this <laughs> point. It just isn't possible. Real quick on operations. When I think of a rural property, and this has been some of the, not flack or heat, but some of the things that have been said is these incredible destination places. And then I hear maintenance and house cleaning. How It's like, okay, maybe if you have a property in the middle of the city, there's tons of labor, there's tons of, how do you make sure that that labor is always ready to go, especially in a rural area? Because you know as well as I know, if I'm checking into your place and it hadn't been turned over, we got problems. <laughs> How have you mastered that? I think this is one of the most critical pieces to your operation. Totally agree. And I've alluded to it already, but hiring the right people, I think Isidore Sharp with Four Seasons, I read this and I resonate with this quote. He said, you want to hire people that are 51 percenters. 51 percent of them is some kind of innate, just who they are, intrinsic emotional intelligence ability, empathy. And then 49% needs to be technical excellence or the aptitude to get there. Okay. And they got to always keep that. So I was super lucky because, like I said, this is seven minutes from where I live. This is where I grew up. And I have a large network of friends and contacts, which ended up being most of my employees there. Okay. But the housekeeping actually... I have three different teams, but the main team were, was not someone I previously knew of. And that that is the hardest part, period, because you, you just said it, but the best illustration is if you walk into a $2 million unit, whatever it is, we spent $2.5 million on this property and there's a dirty toilet. I don't care how <laughs> <laughs> impressive it is, your guest is going to be yep. obviously and justifiably furious. So uh, we've had like two or three tiny incidents since yeah. we've opened that have been so awesome because they've been so educational to drive that point home to our whole team. But I found a team literally just on Facebook searching for cleaners in my area. I interviewed like two or three different cleaners, brought them out to the property. Another part that, that's really crucial, a lot of people skimp on is we built our own little facility, even for seven only seven units on five acres. We built a little facility for the laundry, for the storage. And I don't see that a lot of places because most people are just like, okay, that's that's a cost we can easily outsource to somebody else. But that's a big benefit to finding the right kind of cleaners because they can stay right there. They can turn over really fast and they do a good job because it's it's all part of, like if you drive over to the laundry facility and you walk inside, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of stuff going on, but you're gonna still sense, I think, I hope, you're still going to sense the care that we put into the actual units themselves and preparing them for the guests. So it was very much a, you know, an interview process and feeling out, are these the right people? And then just like keeping the stakes low for the first few weeks and just experimenting, testing out with them and making sure it's a good fit for them as well. You yeah. don't want to bring the wrong person into a job, no matter how much you like them or how great they are at one thing, if they don't have that combination of of empathy and, and, you know, the technical, whatever that is. So the cleaning teams are the, the top of the food chain in that sense. Like they are the front line. Yep. 
even though they hardly interact with the guests, but they're they're the ones turning everything over and, and preparing that magical experience. And then the facilities, like the ongoing maintenance. Now we're what, 19, 20 months into this, we're really starting to see a little bit of wear and tear. And so we've we've really started to crack down and and make sure, you know, furniture has to be turned over and rugs and dorm hats and, you know, the the front door handle and the light bulb. There's just all these little details that are intensive to, to stay on top of. And it's one thing to do that yourself like I was for the first six to 12 months because I really care about it. But then you've got to somehow, you've got to somehow bring that ownership mentality to whoever it is that's responsible. So I just hired this, this couple that are doing the guest communications to be the GM. And really what I'm paying them to do, yeah, they're, they're communicating. Most of that's automated anyway. So that's a, a small workload, maybe two or three hours a week. But most of what they're doing is just being the eyes and ears on the ground. So they go over there every single day. They interact with some guests here and there. But more than anything, they're just like looking at this from my perspective of, is there anything we could do to make this better? Is there anything that's slipping 5%? Is there anything that's going to slip 5% that we need to stay ahead of? So all the different systems, you know, there's just so many pieces, power washing units and maintaining the mini splits and the pond aerator and the pond in general. I mean, algae, you've got duckweed, you've got a ton of landscape, five acres to deal with. So yes, you can't underestimate the importance of them and how much work it is to stay on top of the true guest experience. At what point, like if I were to say, what if this property was 10 times bigger, would it be the same magic if there were 70 of these on property? Is there a number at which you're no longer like experiential and you're kind of more commoditized or does size not matter? No, absolutely. I mean, it really does depend on the size of the property in terms of density, because density is the more important criteria of how far apart are these, I think, for my kind of property. Okay. But there is an, a threshold that I would not be comfortable going over, and that's probably around 40 units. Okay. That's the number for me. What happens at 41 or 50? <laughs> Have you heard of Amangiri? No. So it's this incredible resort. Oh, we're going to talk uh, about yeah, it. I made I a tweet about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I've only heard about it because of you. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to start talking about it now, so you I went start. and stayed there. It's in the desert in Utah, in the middle of nowhere. And Amon, who's this you know global resort company, they built this place for 150 million for 38 keys. So just insane. I mean, that's five like almost adore. five million a key. It's on 1,200 or so acres, I think. It's it's on a huge piece of property. They've since expanded to another portion where they have like a, a glamping destination. But the main resort, it's only 38 units. So I wouldn't stay there. It was over 6,000 bucks a night. <laughs> Insane experience. Okay, why? Absolutely magical. I mean, it was like going to a different world. The the setting for one, I mean, you're just in these inc this incredible canyon. I mean, there's just these massive, feels like you're in the middle of the most beautiful Martian National Park <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> so it's just in this incredible, you know, beautiful desert. And then the actual food and beverage. I mean, they have this incredible two restaurants that all the food, everything's complimentary. You would hope so for that price. <laughs> yeah, it's complimentary. Yeah, <laughs> but the but the units themselves, I mean, just incredible again like i could resonate with so much even though they're operating on a you know a huge scale compared to me and just everything about it is gargantuan 
their that they framed these views just like I tried to do with my little five acres. They frame these incredible views through all the windows and the the courtyard and there's a little orchard that you walk through to get to each unit and once again, I mean, it's just impossible to really describe until you've gone there, but the level of attention to detail is off the charts. So that's 38 keys. And a lot of people, I mean, they built that in 2009. Wow. Imagine the risk that they, that they were taking just <laughs> given that market condition. And it's become one of the biggest successes in hospitality probably ever. I mean, it's they've hit 90 to 95% occupancy at a six, the highest ADR hotel in America, if not the world. Some of the units are $10,000 a night. I mean, it's insane. And five, over 500,000 followers on social media. And so that 38 units, it was really fun going there and seeing that because it's a totally different style, totally different aesthetic. But it, that's within that 40 mark for me, which is kind of, I don't know, it's just been there intuitively all along. I've been to, I've been to several resorts. I've been to a Four Seasons, which are typically a little bit, which can be bigger, but the one I went to, I think it's the smallest one they have actually in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I think that was right around 50. That was pushing it. I think you lose the boutiqueness of it yeah. at, that, at a certain point there. And the intimacy and the personalization is is critical. So I am much more about spending a lot on a little, but, but getting the right quality and, and then just having like my, my big, my big dream would be to build a portfolio of these properties in different areas that are localized and personalized to their areas, but that are very boutique, you know, ideally 10 to 20 units. Okay. I, I think there are some economies of scale, obviously that kick in that make it really attractive to scale the individual property. And things like food and beverage, if you're building in a more remote location like Amagiri, that's hours away from any kind of major, you know, metro area, they have to have a, a world-class restaurant there. I mean, they have to have a world-class spa there. They have to have these basic core amenities. And so it makes a lot more sense, obviously, to, I think, 20 units is the threshold for where it makes sense to build a restaurant. Or I, I don't, I'm in a, I call my brand experiential hospitality, which hospitality is a broad term. Restaurants scare me, but there are some creative food and beverage options where you can do a third party collaboration and, you know, schedule out at Amangiri. This is another thing when I booked, they have a personal dedicated concierge who's helping you craft your experience a month before you get there. So if you're going to do rock climbing, if you're going to, what, even what meals or, you know, when you want to eat, making a reservation at the restaurant. And so you could do that on a smaller scale and then, you know, pre-plan and, and, and bring a chef in. So 20 units, I think is, is a threshold for F and B 40 units to me would be the threshold of you're losing the boutique aspect. You're losing a key pillar to the experience I'm trying to create. At your property, just on that note, do most people come bring their own food and cook or are they leaving campus a lot and going and doing things in town? Great question. We invested heavily in the kitchens at each cabin. Okay. We spent more there than anywhere else. Okay. And they have like really nice high-end Fisher Paco appliances, custom white oak cabinetry, beautiful, you know, high-end countertops, lots of little details. It's a micro chef's kitchen. Okay. Chef's kitchen. So you can cook a, a full meal there. What I've learned though, since we since we've been hosting for almost a year and a half now, 
only about 30 to 40% of people actually use those kitchens. Now they're still beautiful. So there's still some, you know, at least intangible value there. Some of some folks bring a, a chef in. A nice thing about where Live Oak Lake is situated is we're within an hour and a half from, you know, 10, 15 million people, which mm -hmm. is amazing. But we're only 15 minutes to downtown Waco. And Waco mm -hmm. is 180,000 people and has it's actually become quite touristy because of Magnolia and such. And so there's some great cuisine and, and stuff to do in restaurants there. So we we see a good mixture of those that just come and hunker down and just, you know, chill out on on site and they they can cook full-blown meals if they want. And those that actually leave and go off site. All right. We've talked about this a lot. You mentioned it with Amangiri. You've talked about it. Let's pivot just a little bit to the power of the social media engine and how that really, I'm not saying you can't be successful without it, but if you look at these niche properties, they all come with huge social media followings too. So maybe we can talk about how you thought about building it. And the only other thing you might weave in there, you've mentioned the words messaging sequences lots of times, which mm -hmm. is also, I'm not saying yep. that's your Instagram account, but that's part of marketing. I pulled your tweet on, there's four pillars, consistency, influencer partnerships, media appearances, organic deals. Let's bring this home on like how to build an incredible social media presence so that these properties can thrive. I'll start with a quick story. Two weeks after we launched, we were suspended on Airbnb. And this was another huge wake-up moment for me. We had just spent two and a half million bucks on this property. I mean, I had taken a huge risk. I had gotten a construction loan. I had brought some partner equity in from my family to make it happen. Everybody was a little dubious of the way I was doing it as far as like drilling down so hard and the details and spending so much money. And we literally, our entire business shut down with no explanation, with no warning, and Airbnb is awesome. I mean, I can't say too much negative about them. And they've created a space by and large as far as short-term rentals and given so many of us an opportunity to thrive. But they've gotten so big and they've shifted from being more host-centric to more guest-centric that they're just, I think, I think they've got to really not forget like where they started and how they're going to succeed, which is tight relationships with their hosts. Their, their customer service was terrible. I mean, I could not get a hold of them for a week. And so in the meantime, it ended up being a huge blessing because it launched social media. I started figuring like, we've got to have distribution somewhere else. What are we going to do? And I knew social media would be important having a direct bookings website. Yeah. I just, I wanted to take advantage. The first month you're on Airbnb, you get extra promotion in their algorithm because they're trying to get, you know, you get you off the ground, get you established, get good reviews coming in. And I was trying to take advantage of that. So I wasn't even thinking about social media. I didn't know anything about it. I talked to a few friends and then kind of like eventually landed on this idea of a giveaway, which I didn't know what that was. There was this account in Dallas that has like 200,000 followers and they just, they just do these giveaways. So they partner with restaurants and, you know, short-term rentals and hotels. And for $900, they posted, and this was really the first publicity we ever got too, so that that helped. They posted, my, I just gave them photos, they didn't even come out, this giveaway that, you know, if you entered in by following my Live Oak Lake account, you would be an entrant in the giveaway and you could tag people for more entries so it, it incentivized this snowball effect. And the prize was a two-night stay. I paid them 900 bucks, I gave away two nights. We were just launching too, so we had a lot of open nights. 
And we got $40,000 of direct bookings in <laughs> one week and over 5,000 followers from scratch on our Instagram. Dude, who was, you remember the name of that account? It's called Dallasites 101. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. So that was literally the eureka moment for me. I was like, oh my goodness, we have struck gold. <laughs> I doubled down like nobody's business and just pounded the pavement. So from that time forward, for the next six months, I learned Instagram. I spent two to three hours a day just cold DMing, interacting with our new followers and cold DMing new accounts that I thought might be a good fit. There were a lot of duds. I got really lucky on that first one. There were a lot of like fake accounts or not fake accounts, but accounts with fake and unengaged followings that we ended up giving away free nights and we didn't get anything out of it. So I had to learn like there's a landmine there you have to navigate. And I learned a lot of stuff along the way. But long story short, we partnered with like 30 different influencers and accounts. And we spent like 40 grand on these in, on these giveaways. And we gave away like 40 or 50 free nights. But it was great because like I said, we were launching. So we had this open calendar for the most part. This was mainly just the first month or two, but through the first six months. But we got 50,000 followers. And every time we would do one of those giveaways, I would run a 10% discount code. So just unique to that influencer. So they could give like a little perk to their following. Yep. And that's how we would generate these, you know, that was good for one week. That's how we generate these, all these direct booking sales. So not only would we get the the inf the followers, which are really important in the long term, because then we're we're nurturing those. It's a, it's just a game. Like eventually, they're going to book with us. It's just a funnel. We're converting them. We're warming them. But we're also getting the immediate like fruit. Like Im immediately, we're getting bookings. So, I mean, 10, 20, 30, 40 x returns there just on on the money that we spent. <laughs> I mean, by some measures, it's hard to put a number on on the value of that because our social media following at this point. And I've had prospective buyers of Live Oak Lake tell us they would value just the social following at $2 million because we're generating, we're generating of overall bookings around 70 to 75% of overall bookings we get come straight from Instagram. So that following is, I mean, it's, it's huge. We're getting 750 to $800,000 a year just in, in revenue um, from that. And we're in a very high margin business. So between influencer partnerships. And real quick, what was in it for the influencers? You gave them free nights to stay. They went out, took pictures while they were there. Like what's in it for the influencer? So there's a good mix. We used bigger accounts that charge two, 3,000 bucks. So that's the main benefit they get. They also like, especially early on, were savoring the opportunity to feature this really cool property, right? Because we're the coolest property around. Yeah. And so they can be one of the first to push it to their audience. Okay. Some of them, it's just a straight up business. So like I said, I mean, it's just transactional. You pay them money and they post it. But then we also used a lot of micro influencers, which are really valuable because they won't necessarily give you a, a ton of followers, maybe five to 10,000 following people. But some of them are really, really talented content creators. So a lot of those would actually come out and in exchange for a free night, so I don't pay them anything. I just gave them a free night, weeknight. Um, they would they would make a giveaway or do whatever and post, create content for me to post. So, you know, create reels. And that segues to the next, the big pillar here, the primary pillar of our growth now, after we hit like 50,000 followers, which we were just supercharging with these collaborations, Instagram was pivoting its strategy to become just real focused. So that's how you get virality, it's not photos. That's a lot of work to create content consistently and post it every other day or whatever your schedule is. 
So early on, it was really fun. And we could diversify kind of and figure out our brand identity of what kind of stories we're telling with these reels by using these different creators. They also would like give us great photo content we could use for our listings for our website. That's how we like all of our marketing content. Like, I don't think we really paid for anything. It was all just like these amateur talented photographers coming out because it was such a cool place. They wanted to film and trading a a free stay with them. But then after like 50,000 followers, I was creating like these, these great reels, but then I was like, this is a ton of my time. And I had been following this other agency, this guy, Nate, Nate Vietz called Content House, his, his company. And he was just launching and he had been working with a couple other cabin accounts around the country and doing a really good job. So brought him down to Texas and ended up hiring him. So now he's built a whole agency in large part off of my referrals. <laughs> I give him like three different customers a month. And these are you know 3,000 buck, 3, bucks a month minimum retainer clients. I should do what Nick Huber's doing and like actually own that agency <laughs> or at least partner with him. <laughs> but he just, they, they, they've got a super efficient workflow. They come out three times a year. When the seasons change, they bulk shoot for three days, go back home to Ohio, chop it up, monitor the algorithm, monitor trending audios. They know my branding. They know my, my, my brand identity and our voice, and then just post consistently. And then it's just a numbers game. So you know, every 10 reels or so, we'll get one that just pops off and goes viral. And then we'll get a ton of followers from that and bookings. So yeah, in the last, it's been just a, a year since I hired Nate and we've, we've added another 100,000 followers. And, and then the other beautiful thing is we can use that same content that he's creating for Instagram on TikTok, on YouTube shorts, on Facebook, because video is another macro trend, right? And so we're just posting and, you know, like we have, our promo videos. We chop everything up and we use whatever we can to tell the story. I think it's also important to use carousels because like photo carousels, because people also need to see like, what am I actually getting? They're, they're solving two different things with the carousel. We're showing people where the plugs are by the bed and what the kitchen looks like. And, you know, some of these little details, they want to actually know what their stay is going to be. And with the reels, we're just convincing them. We're like, we're creating that initial emotional connection. Like I have to go there. I have to experience this. And then I'll tie in your other question or your point about message sequencing. It does tie in here. Interacting with your followers is really important and really easy just to like, you know, not take the time for. I did a lot of this personally and I still do, still do it some of the time. So I still have full access and I'll go in there and check on things. But like responding to comments, responding to DMs is super important because once again, 75% of all bookings are coming straight from this one Instagram, this platform. So I am nurturing these people to book right there. And the other part of marketing here that I want to touch on is email. So I think you could make an argument like, okay, great. So you, you, you cut the cord with Airbnb or for the most part, but now you're dependent on Instagram. Yes and no. I mean, for on the, on the basic level, we're not paying the commission. So that's a huge advantage. You still do see some dilution of your audience, the bigger that you get on Instagram with every platform. What do you mean by that? Just like it doesn't reach everybody. Exactly. Your reach just diminishes over time, not over time, but over following size. And so like, you know, we've 10 X our audience size, but maybe we've only three or four X our engagement. And so we're, we've made a big push towards email where we're funneling people now to sign up to our lists. And I'm, I've got plenty to learn here about email marketing. We've created some great basic welcome and nurture sequences that 
you know, once again, start warming people in the most personal way through their email. And we have 40,000 people on our email list yeah. now. So email is going to be like another is, is my end game as far as the best channel for, for marketing. But the very, well, take that back one step. The very best marketing we have, and I already said this earlier, is our guests that have stayed with us because literally we'll have these super fans that yeah. go out and tell, we'll get 10 different people booking because of them. And they do it on social media, which is great. They can tag their friends and, you know, it's just this beautiful snowball that compounds over time. And at this point, if we were not to grow another follower on email or Instagram, if we didn't post another thing, I think we would honestly be just fine just off of the existing relationships that we have. I want to leverage that into growth in the future with other places, which makes a lot of sense. And I'm going to ask you that. I don't know, though. Like, to me, so much of it, and that has to be done in such a personal way, though, because, like, I've, well, I'll wait till you ask me about the acquisition thing. We've had... all these private equity groups that want to come in and buy live click and, or most of them want to take like a majority. So they want to buy 80% and they want me to keep 20 because they want, and what I've learned is they just want me to go and build them a portfolio. Some of them have been really tempting, but they, once again, like I was mentioning earlier, one of them straight up told me like the Instagram, the audience that you've built and your ability to connect with, with those people is what we want and to actually build, create the assets too. Yeah. But that you really like makes me nervous. Exactly. Because like, I, I don't want to be bought and then just like have to be growing unsustainably when it comes even just to launching these properties. And we, we can talk about that later, but just going back to Instagram, I built it in a very personal way. Like my, my story and my face and my wife and I and our family have been very central to that. And that's another core element to what makes this such a great experience. People feel like they know me and they feel like they're participating in what we've created in our our family and our story. And you don't want to lose that. Just real quick, if I was to sign up for your email, you talk about nurture and welcome sequence, but I never actually booked, but I was just on it. How many times am I going to hear from you a year? You're going to hear from us like 11 times over the course of three or four months. Okay every week or so with a a pre-scheduled automation of, you know, telling a different piece of the story or what we offer at Live Oak Lake and try to nurture people. And then we also do occasional newsletters. Newsletters aren't a huge thing for us. I think it would be fun to, to dive into that a little bit more and maybe do like a monthly update on what's going on at the property. If we had a bigger property that even had a little bit more stuff, it'd be easier to come up with stuff there. But And if you were to create another property, which is kind of how I want to bring it home, which is like, what's next? But you have this 158,000 followers, but that's for Live Oak Lake. Now you do have the 40,000 followers and technically that's for Live Oak Lake. But let's say you go find a nice quaint spot in Utah. Are you starting from zero again on a new Instagram account? Or have you thought through how you take your current audience and now help them start transcending across all the properties that you may own one day? If I keep Live Oak Lake and I have control of that audience, which is a question, then we've gotten some pretty tempting offers. I know. We talked about <laughs> it with Joe T's that night. I think I was, after my third margarita, I was like, sell that shit. <laughs> Mitchell Baldrige <laughs> was pretty opinionated about it. He's like, don't you dare. I built the trust over time and like I said, put my personality into it. Just got to be super careful on how I use that capital. 
with the audience. But yeah, it makes tons of sense to use this this targeted, you know, highly engaged audience to expand to other properties. Now, as far as how we how I might expand in terms of creating a portfolio or creating a brand that's more central or, or decentralizing it into soft brands or whatever with different accounts, that's a question. I don't know exactly what I would do. Right now, I can just answer that question before it's even asked as far as my future plans for expansion. I have been laser focused on Live Oak Lake yep. since opening it of like actually understanding all these things about operations and automations and marketing. So I've just like had my head down and said no politely. But I have been inundated by, by people wanting to invest. And if it's okay, I want to talk about that just a little bit as far as like on the personal side of things. Talk about it. With my personal brand. So I didn't know, like I thought Twitter was a place where people just argued about politics <laughs> last June. That's what next year is going to be. 2024, <laughs> no, we're going to get no back kidding, to that. No kidding. Retweet is a nice little safe space, maybe. Yeah. A lot of mutes and blocks to, <laughs> yeah. get to, re, to get to retweet and be comfortable. <laughs> but what happened is, so this guy named Sam Parr, I didn't know who he was, but I know Sam. <laughs> all of a sudden he got, he found out about me. This was last June. So a few months after we opened and we just started texting one night and he was just asking me about the business and what I had done. And I hadn't told any of our story from the back end. Like I hadn't opened the hood up of what we were doing and how much I'd spent and all that. And he was like, hey, if it's okay, I'm going to tweet about this. I was like, okay, fine. He was like, you should create an, an account here because you know it, it would help you. And I was like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. And he's like, okay, fine. So he made this tweet and, and it got a lot of engagement. So I did humble myself and create an account and started interacting <laughs> with people. But that led to Sam has a huge audience. Sam's awesome. Yeah. And then I went on my first million and oh, you did. Yeah. And got just a ton of people inbound. And really the, the stream has not stopped since last June. I mean, every week I get two or three emails and DMs from private equity or high net worth or just individuals wanting to invest. And first I was just like taking a ton of calls and I was like, wow, I mean, it was very flattering. I, I'd never been in that position. And now I've just, like I said, learned to be really focused on what I'm doing. But along the way, there were all these other small entrepreneurs and people like me that were trying to start out and create these properties. I realized I was not original in the dream of creating this kind of a like little short-term rental village, basically. A hospitality, a lifestyle brand around it. I was just really lucky to be one of the first people to execute it well. And so this idea was resonating with so many people. So I just started sharing stuff and organically getting a lot of engagement on Twitter primarily. And that led to like so many, uh, you know, requests to pick my brain, <laughs> our favorite question. Oh my gosh. And uh, I'd have no brain left if I let everybody <laughs> that wanted to pick it, pick it. Such an awful term. That is. So one, not wanting to be, you know, unwelcoming or disrespectful to anybody. I, I took a ton of calls and I, I just realized like my time is valuable and I cannot, I was spending like hours a day just dealing with this. So I started doing consulting on the side. At first, like there were people that knew me in the local hosting uh, community in Texas, really like one or two that were like, raised their eyebrows like, wow, you're charging money. And I was like, look, for you guys, I'm never going to charge money. I'll sh share. I learn from you. You can learn from me. So there was a tiny bit of resistance, but like people just started booking these calls and my price went from 300 bucks an hour to 1300 bucks an hour and people just booking out my calendar. Which site did you use to do that intro? 
Nope, ConvertKit. So okay. I just used ConvertKit Commerce and okay. had a Calendly link directly send to them so they can schedule a time. Cool. And then just, you know, blocked off certain segments, my schedule. But I really, really hate selling hours of my day, especially when I'm just answering the same questions over and over again. So I was like, I should create a scalable resource for people. Of course. Of course. And I didn't want to do it for the longest time because I hate the course guru persona. I was terrified of how people were going to start viewing me and that I would lose the authenticity and how I built that following on Twitter. If it makes you feel any better, I think it's freaking awesome that you did it. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate that. I've gotten a little bit more thicker skinned and, and a lot more encouraged by other people who've now taken the course. So long story short, created this masterclass on experiential hospitality using Live Oak Lake as the main case study. It's eight hours of content, 45 episodes, brought in some awesome people to help present on different experts to present on different topics and marketed this course for, did a limited launch in uh, July of this year, built the whole thing in two months, partnered with this awesome couple, Brady and Quinn Clayton, who created all the video and then launched the course and sold 85 people purchased. It's a $4,000 course in eight days. And I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Cause this is the first time I'm, how much did it cost you to build it? It cost like 10,000 bucks, okay. but then I did a profit share with Brady and Quinn. So okay. they got like 20%. They got a lot, but they did a re- really, really great job. So I, I grossed 340,000 bucks in eight days on this course. And since then I'm fixing to announce cohort two, I'm going to do like a rolling cohort every other month, but I no longer have to worry about the group, co- the coaching calls, which we're just like soul destroying in one sense. I love connecting with people, but I just hate spending that time. It's yeah. very fatiguing. For sure. And I'm also like, I have some ideas around community of how I can bring people together in this space and where we can both network and I can share from my experiences. So I don't know how I got on that tangent, but I will say that whatever I do going forward, I don't want the consulting and coaching or community, whatever that personal brand side of things ever to be more than 49% of what I do. The main thing needs to be the main thing, which is me creating, envisioning, creating, designing, building, and marketing these iconic properties. Dude, you figured out things at 26 that most people don't figure out until they're almost done with their career. I've just been really lucky to have some great mentors. So I, I want to do that. And then that will feed the machine on whatever that looks like. Because when I can build these properties, my number one regret in building Live Oak Lake, my biggest mistake was that I didn't create any, I didn't film or like hardly oh. photograph anything when I was doing, I was in such a hurry and like so laser focused on executing that I didn't build in public or just take, capture the content that I could post later. A friend of mine, Devin Lorop, he has a container home. So it's five shipping containers built into this really cool Airbnb. He did it himself. He's in Washington. He built 900,000 followers on Instagram. This is the biggest account I know of like this with 150 of these reels that he created. He's also a filmmaker and an engineer. So he like brought some great skills together. And But he just basically told the story that it's gold, the content that you have when you're creating one of these kind of properties. And people want to vicariously follow along and, and live that life with you. So he he just like took these time lapses and, the, and would do before and afters and these really great reels, like five to 10 seconds. 
150 of them, he built 850,000. He's up to like over a million now. When he launched that property, he's featured in the masterclass as well. When he launched that property last year, the end of last year, he booked a place out in like a matter of days for a year in advance because he had such a massive distribution baked in immediately. So that's what I'm passionate about. Creating, number one, creating the product, creating the experience, creating the property, envisioning it, coming up with something totally unique to the area that it's in while also incorporating that localized feel and personalization, building a brand around it with an audience, and then setting up these turnkey, I mean, super robust profit centers, and then just like legacy assets that I want to be able to pass on to my kids and grandkids. I feel like this is the future of travel and hospitality. In 15, 20 years from now, the concept of hotel now will be drastically changed, I firmly believe. Yes, there'll still be economy, select service, you know, whatever, comfort in. <laughs> but we're going to see such a huge swath because my generation, like I said, it all comes back to wanting those experiences, is going to prioritize that, is going to spend extra. I mean, people are spending three or four times what they would spend even at a really nice four-star hotel to stay at our place. Why? Because it's totally unique and we've told the story really well. So like, it's the best opportunity. It's the best asset class, if you want to call it that, I can possibly think of. Isaac, you have created a raving fan in me. I am beyond impressed. I can't wait to stay there. I really just can't wait to kind of get to know you better. You've been hiding in kind of plain sight. And I I leave today going, this is something I need to get to know a lot better. Well, I have a ton of admiration for you, Chris. And I know there's a lot I can still learn. That's been one of the biggest benefits <laughs> of just connecting with folks in the Retweet community specifically. Because like I feel like I'm learning. I'm getting this free doctorate in real estate and business yep. and marketing on a daily basis just by connecting with folks like yourself. So that's a huge honor to hear that. It's a pleasure. How can people find what you're all about? They can follow me on Twitter at Isaac French underscore. They can sign up to my newsletter or get more info on the masterclass or whatever at IsaacJFrench.com. LiveOakLake.com and at LiveOakLake are the handles and domain for the business. You're the man. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Chris. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Fort Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform or hop on over to YouTube to watch full video episodes if that's what you prefer. For more information, you can check out thefortpod.com. <laughs>